This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning we're going to talk about the shepherd's work. Uh, We've been on a series of studies uh, for, for a little while. There's been five other studies. If, uh, you've, if you haven't heard those, if you need a refresher, we publish our sermons as a podcast. You can find that on our podcast. It's available uh, anywhere and everywhere. You can go back through and listen to those uh, different lessons. But as a, a bit of a recap, we've been looking at the qualifications of leadership uh, for a congregation. And we began with uh, technical difficulties. Well, oh, see, I told you I'm kind of slow this morning. Uh, There we go. I was on the last slide, and it just ends the show if you're on the last slide. Uh, So we're going to continue our our series, but as a bit of a recap, uh, we see this progression that's laid out in the Scriptures that's very clear, very apparent, and leadership begins with you. It begins with... um, it begins with you and your personal discipleship. Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe in His Word? Are you living as a disciple of Jesus? And we looked at the importance of that. And then from there, it, it grows out and it goes in this circle. Uh, so from you, it goes... Uh, I'll continue to have problems here. Sorry about that. From you, then it goes... Uh, to your relationship with your wife. Um, we looked at the importance and the, the uh, symbol of a relationship of a man and wife and the true ideal of, of love and submission to one another, putting aside your own desires and being a, a man that is loving and caring and protecting and serving your wife in the Word of God. Uh, and if you have a godly marriage, what you're communicating is the picture of Christ and the church, and it shows a, a oneness and a unity. Uh, and then it goes from there to your Uh, responsibilities as a father. Um, The way you treat your children, the way you discipline your children, then bring them up. If if you're a godly man and you have a godly marriage, then you're going to want to be a godly father, and it just naturally emanates from that that heart and that desire. Um, And the reason we looked at these things and this progression is because uh, the Bible says that in, in the qualifications of an elder and even a deacon, if a man does not know how to oversee his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? Uh, so the things that you learn in the relationships and in your personal discipleship, in your relationship with your wife, in your relationship with your children, it's training ground for eldership. Um, and then, of course, that, that leads into the idea of leadership in the church. The last study we, we had, we looked at the qualifications of an elder uh, and even, even a deacon, uh, and it was a, a summary a uh, quick summary through that. There's certainly a lot more studies that can be done in examining those qualifications more thoroughly. But what we looked at just very briefly was the model that God has designed for leadership in the church. For a local congregation, for the local body uh, of believers that meet together, the people who are baptized into Christ, who, who are gathered together, He has instituted a model of multiple qualified men serving in the role of elders. There's no hierarchy. There's no special titles. It's not like you have uh, a more senior elder than another. Uh, All the men are serving in the capacity of an elder, and they have equal responsibility and equal authority to oversee the the congregation and the development of the saints that meet in a local congregation. This is God's model. 
Um, you can look out in the world. We, we touched on it maybe just very briefly, but in the world, what you see is man's model. Uh, and the biblical terms for elder, there's also bishop or pastor or shepherd. They all mean the same thing. They're all talking about the same office. Now, in the world, what you see and the denominations that you see, there's just an explosion of all kinds of different titles and models, and it varies depending on the group, on the denomination, but really, uh, it stands out to me coming from uh, being raised Catholic and coming from that kind of background, um, that, that there's that model that's apparent. They have a hierarchy. Uh, my bullets are out of order here, but they have a hierarchy. They've got, you know, the Pope, of course, and then you've got bishops, and then you've got archbishops, and you've got cardinals, and all kinds of things that they've designed and they've developed as a hierarchy of man that doesn't really match what, what the Lord has designed. Um, and then that has bled into the denominational world where you have, you know, things like a lead pastor. You have one man who's appointed over this group, which really follows the Catholic model of a priest over a group, you know, over a church. Um, and then some places put emphasis on the pastor's wife. I've certainly engaged with people who uh, are in those roles, and they also call the wife pastor when they address her. Or some, pla- some places, I was, I was looking at this online, some places actually call the pastor's wife the first lady, and they put all the special titles and emphasis on, on these people. Uh, from there, you have other splintering of these duties, these responsibilities, and more splintering of titles like executive pastor or just regular pastor or just the assistant. Uh, some places have instituted a model of youth pastors, and it's kind of like you're training with the young people before you move on to the adults. And there's, and there's uh, something that I've seen more recently is, you know, boards of directors or boards of elders where these pastors answer to these men, and they, they design and they, they write bylaws, and they do all kinds of different things to direct the growth of their different groups. And there's tons of other models. We don't have time to talk about each one of them, but all of these are splintering of these words, dividing up of these responsibilities, and this is really man's model. It doesn't match the model that God has instituted, and this is not something that God wants for His people. Uh, it's not biblical, it's not founded in Scripture, but so this congregation, the reason we're talking about this is because we are going to be a congregation that is designed the way the church, int- the, way, the way God intended. And this topic of eldership is so important for us because we want the kind of men that the Bible asks us to be, and we need that. If we're going to live as a congregation and survive as a congregation for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, which is our vision, is to be here long-term working and laboring in this area, in this community, we need the men of this congregation to be the kind of men that we've been studying about to be men that are biblically minded and aligning themselves with the truth, to be the kind of men that, have, that are personally great disciples of Jesus, that, have, that are great husbands, that have great marriages, that are great fathers teaching and training their children. Uh, there's so many similarities in the home, and again, it's a training ground. Um, in this last study, we're going to talk about the importance of specifically the elder's work and the shepherd, uh, the shepherd's work and why it's so great. And in order to truly understand that, we really need to understand the work of Christ, the great shepherd, because eldership in a congregation is an extension of the work of Christ. Now, we'll look at a few things here. Firstly, Christ entered into this world to gather a flock of 
people. And it's pictured as sheep in the New Testament uh, and in the Bible in general. Uh, if you think about the, the need that was there, mankind committed sin in the garden, of course, and sin and death entered into this world. And since that time, humanity had been in bondage to, to sin and death. But Jesus came specifically into this world to correct this problem. He came to fix this problem of, of sin and death ruling over us. And he wants holiness and righteousness and life to rule over us instead. Um, and so he enters into the world. And when he begins his ministry or in the middle of his ministry, the way he was describing it and what he was focused on was, was the sheep. Now, the early part of his work focused on just the Jews. He says in Matthew 15, 24, he answered and said, I'm not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His focus was on the Jews first. And he came to gather the Israelites and call them to repentance. And he pictures it as a flock. He's a, he's a shepherd who's gathering the sheep from the lost, uh, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But his work extended beyond that, and it included gathering the faithful souls from even among the Gentile nations. He knew that was going to be the way it progressed, from the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And he speaks about this in John chapter 10, and he uses those terms in the language and the imagery of a shepherd and his sheep. He says in John chapter 10, verse 15, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, meaning, of course, he said the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that's the fold of God, the people of God. But... He says, I have other sheep that are not of that fold of the, of the nation of Israel. He's talking about the Gentiles, nations. He says, them also must I bring. They will hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. As, as it's described in Ephesians 2, he makes of two groups one new man. He takes the Jew and the Gentile, removes the middle wall of partition between them, unites them in himself, and there is one fold, one body, one, one Lord, one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This is the commandment I have received of my Father. So, the work of Jesus was to gather people from all nations under His kingship into the power of His life. Uh, the way He accomplished this was by laying down His own life first. Uh, but it wasn't just for Himself. He had the power to take it up again and the method of uniting the people and gathering the people and making one fold was his death and his resurrection. This is the way in which he was going to gather all the people. And those who are faithful and obedient to him are baptized into his body. They become members of his sheepfold because they, they hear his voice and they obey him. Now, the work of a shepherd, uh, as we see pictured here in John 10, uh, he's, he's acting on behalf of the sheep. We needed him. And he came when we were lost sheep, when we were gone astray, when we were weak, when we were dying, when we were getting devoured, and He comes in and He steps in front and He protects us from death because that's what we were suffering from, sin and death. He describes this relationship and this focus uh, there in John chapter 10. If you look at verse 11, He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives His life for the sheep. He stands in and He protects and He gives His own life. And he describes those who had come before, and he says, He that's an hireling and is not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, they see the wolf coming, and they leave the sheep, and they flee. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. He saw the danger and the threat of the, the false doctrines and the false teachers and the, even the dangers that would arise from among the sheep 
themselves. But he says, I, I see these external threats like the wolf and the lion that come and they're going to devour and they're going to destroy and scatter the sheep. And the people who are hirelings, they flee. They run when there's danger. But Jesus did not run when there was danger. He courageously stepped in and gave his own life on behalf of the sheep to save us from death. And he talked about those wolves that would come in. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, speaking of the Pharisees and other false teachers, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They will look like sheep. It will be hard to tell sometimes. He says, but inwardly, they're ravening wolves. It's an unfortunate truth that the threats that face a, a congregation, the threats that face the people of God, the fold of God, are not going to be so obvious sometimes. It's not going to be like, oh, here's a wolf coming. No, it's like, oh, here's a sheep. Come on in. And then that sheep turns out to be a wolf in disguise and goes about to ravage the congregation, ravage the fold of God, ravage the people, and destroy them with false prophets and false teaching. But Jesus protects us from those things. He wants us to be uh, safe from those types of threats. And in order for us to do that, we have to be fed with the truth. And so part of His work is to make sure we are fed with the truth. And in John 10, 27, He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The way that Jesus protects us from the false doctrines, the way that He helps us to be healthy, the way He helps us to be whole, is by giving us His Word. He teaches us, He instructs us, He guides us with the knowledge of the truth, and the sheep that are His, He knows them, and the ravening wolves, He does not. Uh, The sheep, the wolves that are in sheep's clothing, He does not know them, but He knows His sheep, and His sheep choose to follow Him. So it's a matter of hearing not just believing, but hearing. The true biblical belief is you hear the Word of God and you follow it. And that's the truth. And He wants us to be fed with that kind of diet. Um, now, it's also true that sometimes, sometimes animals are uh, kind of dumb. <laughs> and they do dumb things. Or sicknesses arise and disease arises. And sometimes the sheep get sick and they need help. They wander off. And Jesus, as part of His work as the great shepherd, He came to recover those that were lost and those who were hurt and those who were, who were sick and diseased. In 1 Peter, it describes this in verse 24, "...who His own self bare our sins in His body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should instead live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." For you are a sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The, the very work of Jesus is centered on recovering those who are sick, those who are lost. He comes and He gives His own life, and He was raised to eternal life, and invites us into a life of righteousness so that we can live. This is why it's so important to, he, that, to understand that He protects us from the dangers of false, false teachings, and He protects us with his word, and He feeds us, and he, he helps us to live in righteousness through His word, because we need that. We need recovery from the things that we are dealing with. We need, we need help. We need rescue from our own foolishness, often. I know I do. Um, and I'm thankful that Jesus is the shepherd who comes to heal. He's the, he's the shepherd who comes to save us. He's the one who helps us with knowledge, with understanding. 
He wants us to grow and learn of Him and, and have a better life because that's what He's here to give us is, is not just a better life in this world where we're going to have everything we ever wanted and perfect health and perfect you know, money and perfect situations. There's never conflict. That's not what Jesus came to give. But He, came, he did come to give us life. He says in John 10, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. One of the benefits of being a Christian is that you do have a better life in this, in this world. Absolutely. But it's all in view of eternal life and, and in view of what is to come. And Jesus wants us to live, and He wants us to live more abundantly. Because the work of Christ as a shepherd, the great shepherd, is to lead His sheep to eternal life. That's what Jesus is, has come to do. Now, as I said, it's important for us to understand that work, and there's so much more we could get into and talk about, I'm certain, but, but I think this is a, a fair uh, summary of the things that Jesus comes to do as a shepherd. Now, given that His work as the shepherd is to lead us to eternal life, and He does that through His sacrifice and His resurrection, He continues to ensure that His flock is moving along the right path. He calls us to live in righteousness, and He puts things in place. And, and you think about this. Jesus is described in Colossians 1 as the creator of all things. Everything that was made and designed in this, in this world, in this life, in heaven and in earth, was designed by Jesus Christ. He created those things. He knows what He's doing. And He's designed the model for His church. He's designed the role of elders. He's designed the role of the shepherds so that they could, they could continue on the work that He came to start. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or complete in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Jesus was raised and He left this world, but He didn't leave us to our own de devices. He didn't just say, okay, I'm the great shepherd. Uh, here's, my, here's my word. Good luck. You know, be warmed and filled. Get back to me later. Check it out in your spare time and get back to me later. That's not the attitude of the great shepherd. Even though He's departed from this world, Again, He hasn't left us to our own devices. He's designed the office of an elder as an extension of the Great Shepherd's work, His own work, that ensures that people have the proper guidance and the proper uh, type of support in this world to be led to eternal life. And that is the work of the Great Shepherds, or the Shepherd, rather, the Great Shepherd, and that's the work He enables and, and uh, ordains that shepherds who are over a congregation are in, uh, are a part of. And so now we'll look at the work of the Lord's shepherds. Um, shepherds are appointed to this role uh, to oversee something that belongs to God. Pa Paul talked about this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He warned the Ephesian elders and told them, he said, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. When a man is chosen and goes through this process of, of being chosen as an elder to oversee the congregation, and when he's ordained, he's not simply ordained by human will and human power. He's ordained by the Holy Ghost. 
The Holy Ghost is the one who enables and authorizes the work of an elder. And so they rest on the authority of, of the Holy Spirit. It's not their own authority. It's, it's the authority of the Scriptures. It's the authority of God. And, and they are put into that position. And, it's, and it's, this is the best description of the work of elders, uh, I think, in, in, in one verse, in a very short summary. You are to oversee the flock that belongs to God. You are to feed the church of God that He has purchased with His own blood. Christ paid a very high cost to save His people and to, to gather this flock. And He wants men in the position of shepherds, elders, pastors, bishops, it's all the same term, uh, or all the same uh, office it's describing, just different ways. Those are different words. Um, so remember that if I mention one, I'm talking about all of those terms. But God wants men, Jesus wants men, the Holy Spirit wants men in the position who are going to take this seriously. He, because Christ died and gave His life for it. He bled and died, and He wants men who are going to cherish the church and love and even die for it the way He did. Give themselves up the way He did. That's why it's so important, if you think about the studies that we've done so far, to develop that kind of devotion as a disciple in your own personal life. Men, brothers, that's why it's so important to have the kind of godly marriage that God wants us to have. Being the kind of husband, being the kind of servant to our wives, having the kind of dedication that Christ did to the church, you should have to your bride. And being the kind of father that God is to his children, that's the kind of father we should be to our children because we are learning the deep, deep love and care and guidance and support that our family needs, and we will carry that into the way that, the way that we will oversee a congregation. And it's going to be something very precious. It's going to be something that is a, that is a gift, that is something that you are a steward of, not something that you're just a, uh, uh, that you're lording over, um, some men like to get in a position of power so they can lord over people. It's my way or the highway. Can you imagine having some man put over a congregation who says, get out of here. It's my way or the highway. If you don't like it, you can leave. You're going to do everything I say, and there's not going to be any, any help. There's not going to be any support. Just give, 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 give. That's all I want from you. And just ravages and just leaves you flailing. Can you imagine that? That's not the kind of man God wants in the church uh, as a leader. That's not the kind of man God wants in general. But especially for this position of leadership, you must care deeply for what belongs to God. And Peter described this. Peter was an elder. If you didn't know, yes, he was an apostle and responsible for, uh, with the other 12 apostles, 13 apostles, spearheading this message of Christ and getting it out to the world and establishing these congregations. But later on, Peter was established as an elder over a congregation. And he writes to the church and he says, the elders in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 3, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. Peter himself was an elder. And, and he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Here was his encouragement and his exhortation to other elders that he was writing to. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, not by force. You're not coming in here and taking charge of some, I'm just going to take charge, I'm going to rule with an iron fist, I'm going to rule with constraint. No, he says take oversight willingly. Not for filthy lucre. You're not looking to gain something. You're not 
gaining money from this position. You're not here to benefit from this position, uh, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. You know, there's a lot of examples of, of people when they get into uh, power, positions of power, they just turn into, they turn into wolves. And they act like lords. They act like there's something special. They act like there's something so great and wonderful to be in this position of leadership because they're in charge now. But that is not what God wants from His shepherds. The church is very precious, and it was paid for by a very high price, by Christ's own blood. And this is God's heritage. This belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Christ. And the role of an elder is not one that's motivated by worldly profit or status or control over people's lives. It's not a position that you get to rule over somebody and control every, every little thing they do and nitpick every little thing they do. Rather, it's motivated by, just like in your life for yourself, the same, the, the same devotion you would have to taking care of yourself and your, the same devotion you should have to taking care of your, your wife and your children, it's motivated by love. And it's, it's motivated... Uh, by love and care to provide an example to a flock. As he says here, be an example to the flock. Of what? Of how to carry out the will of God in your own life. Of how to carry out the will of God in your marriage. Of how to carry out the will of God in your family and in the church as well. That's the kind of man that God wants in, his, in, in the church. One who is, loves and cares and is meek and is gentle and is lowly not an iron-fisted tyrant who gets a title. That's not what he wants. He wants faithful men. And the Bible is very clear about this. And it is a great, great responsibility if a man is put into this position of elders. It's not something that should be taken lightly, not in the least, because you are put in a position of carrying out the work of the great shepherd. And just as Jesus was here to protect his flock from wolves, brothers... Sisters, it's a dangerous world out there. It is absolutely filled with all kinds of error. It is absolutely filled with all kinds of, of false teachings. It is filled with all kinds of distractions. Uh, it's so easy to be motivated and become motivated by pride. And, and let's not fool ourselves that the devices of Satan are strong. They absolutely are. He's cunning. He's smart. He's he's. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he's not a fool. And he knows how to twist the scriptures. He knows how to uh, put flashy things in front of us. He knows how to make our lives about the lust of the flesh or the lust of the, the eyes or the pride of life. He knows how to do those things. I mean, he tempted Jesus with those very things. Don't think that he's not going to come out for us and don't think that his ministers won't come out after us. Paul talked about that. Satan is able to transform himself into an angel of light. He will look like he's saying. It will sound like he's saying. It will look like he's doing wonderful, wonderful things. And we'll say, wow, look at that sheep. He's a fellow sheep. And he says, don't be so surprised. Don't be so shocked that there's people out there trying to deceive, calling themselves things that they should not be calling themselves, putting themselves in position, appointing themselves rather than having the Holy Ghost appoint them over, over these types of, of work and these responsibilities. There's so much. There's so much. And elders are in place to protect the flock, like a shield around a congregation, protecting them from the things that are to come. 
Paul talked about this to the Ephesian elders. We read about that. He says, take heed and watch out for the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Feed the church of God that he has purchased with his own blood. Why? For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They don't care about God's church. They don't care about the sheep. They're just looking out for their own self-interest, and they don't care who they damage in the process. And Paul said, I know this is going to happen when I leave. And people are going to come in, and they're grievous wolves. They'll enter in among you. They'll come in, and they're not sparing the flock. And he says, even of your own selves will men arise. People in their own congregation there at Ephesus would arise and start speaking perverse things and trying to draw away disciples to themselves. Paul warned them. He says, I know this is going to happen. It's dangerous. And he charges these elders and says, please be on guard and feed the church. He says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I, I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. Paul spent three years warning them that these things were going to happen people of their own flock would rise up against them and try to draw away disciples. Maybe he was even among the elders. People would try to, they, people would be corrupted by some sense of power and try to take disciples for themselves instead of making disciples for Christ. Paul warned them with tears. And how do you guard against that? How is an elder supposed to protect against those types of, of threats? He says, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. This is what Paul commended them to. I commend you to God and his word. This is what God gives us as our protection, our fortress, our shield, his word. There's nothing better than that. He says, and that word is able to build you up. It's able to fortify you against these threats, and it is able to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. That's what Paul warned these elders, and that's a responsibility of elders that we see laid out clearly here. Watch and protect the flock, just the way Jesus modeled. And the way we protect and the way we make sure, uh, or the way we, the way elders are supposed to uh, ensure that a congregation is healthy, the way we're supposed to go about doing this is by feeding the Word of God, because that's the best thing that you can feed the sheep of God's people. He wants to ensure that they're properly fed, and that is a huge responsibility of elders. You remember, uh, we read that Peter was an elder. He still had this responsibility of feeding the sheep. After his resurrection, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter went right back to fishing. He was just preoccupied with his occupation. And he didn't know what to do, so he goes back to fishing. And so Jesus comes to him and questions him three times. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter is like, you know that I do. You know that. He says, okay, feed my sheep. If you love Jesus, Peter, feed my sheep. That was so important to Jesus. He made sure that there were men in place to feed the flock of God with, with the pure word, the living water, the bread of life. And, of course, Peter goes on and says that same thing to elders as he instructs them in 1 Peter 5, feed the flock. If you love Christ, if you're a man that's in that position, if you are put in that, that place of, of responsibility, it is your responsibility to feed them. And God wants a special diet 
to be fed to his sheep. In Jeremiah 3.15, he says, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which will feed you with knowledge and understanding. This is what God wants his people fed with, knowledge and understanding. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be foolish. He doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And this is why being able to teach the word of God is the qualification of being an elder. When you look back at the qualifications. He doesn't want, he doesn't want, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to your animals if you had sheep, and some of you who have sheep can speak to better to this than I can. We do have some animals. So I know a tiny bit of animal care. Not once have we ever taken our trash can and gone out to the field and just dumped that out to feed our animals that. Maybe you do that with pigs. That's probably an exception. But, in general, if you want healthy animals, you're not going to go out there and just feed them whatever's in your trash can. They're going to get sick. They're going to get diseases. You don't just feed them a bunch of candy or, you know, all kinds of terrible things that that are not going to be healthy for them because they'll very quickly get sick. We've seen that with our own animals. There's some sweet feed that we give sometimes and there's been, uh, early on, we would give too much, and we're like, man, they just seem lethargic. They just seem different. And then you take them off of that, and you start feeding them what they actually need, and you see a world of difference in them, and, and their health improves. Folks, the, the earthly philosophies that are out there, the doctrines of men, the false twisted doctrines, the things that satisfy our itching ears, the things that tell us what we want to hear and make us believe what we want to believe, Folks, that is a trash bin. God does not want his people fed with trash. He wants his people fed with truth, with knowledge, and with understanding. Paul talked about this very thing in Ephesians 4. This is why elders should be qualified to teach the word of God and know what they're talking about to feed the congregation the pure word and not with, not with the garbage bin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 God designed the church and put men in place on purpose to help His people. And He, he ordained apostles at first, and there were prophets in those days. Uh, there's still evangelists, of course, today, uh, pastors or elders, as we've been talking about, and teachers. Why? They're there for the perfecting of the saints. They're here to help train you and guide you and build you up and feed you in the, in the knowledge and the truth and understanding of the Word so that you can be equipped for the work of the ministry, so that the body of Christ can be built up. If you look at verse 14, he says that, that we henceforth be no more children, just tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You could tell a child anything and then, what, really? They would believe that. He doesn't want us to have that mindset of children and just believing anything that, that comes along. He wants, us to, he wants us to be fed with sound doctrine, edified, strong, uh, He doesn't want us to be taken by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Those threats are real. But instead, he wants his elders, his shepherds, and the people in place to help grow a congregation and grow the people of God and make them strong to speak the truth in love. And when that happens, then things will grow and everything will grow properly and Christ is the head of this body from whom the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted by everything that every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. Everyone has a part to play. Every part needs to be healthy. Everyone needs to be 
uh, everyone needs to be healthy and strong to contribute to the growth of the body, and it makes the increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. It's a, it's, it, it's a system that is sustained on the teaching of the truth of God's Word, and it helps us to flourish and thrive, and elders are in place to protect the flock from wolves, to feed the flock of God this truth, and to build up the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. This is their parts of their responsibility, absolutely. And again, he wants the pure word as, as our diet. Now, just as Jesus also helped the sick sheep, elders are in place to do that as well, because it's not a surprise. It's not a shock. I hope it's not a shock to you, but we are human and we have problems. If you don't have problems, I would love to talk to you and understand how. I need those secrets because life is just replete with all types of problems that make us sick, that get us in low places, that lead us away from the flock of God. And thank God that there are men appointed to these roles as elders in, in congregations, else the people of God would have been scattered a uh, long time ago. But there are faithful men who serve in these roles in their congregations, and they help keep the, 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 the sheep healthy, and when they're sick, they go to them and they help. James chapter 5, verse 14, he says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they will be forgiven him. When people begin to have spiritual diseases in their life that are overtaking them, elders should be called to help with that and pray over these, these souls. And the goal is to help them be healed from these infirmities, these spiritual diseases. And it's not the elders that are passing on forgiveness. It's not like the Catholic Church model where you go to these priests and you confess to them and they impart forgiveness to you. That's not what this is saying. These men are simply here to facilitate this. It's like, it's like sometimes you have to clean out a wound and it hurts. And these men are here to facilitate that. And it's the Lord who is raising that person up. It's the Lord who's forgiving them. The elders have no power to forgive someone or, or condemn someone, but they have power to, to help in this process. Um, they've been granted that responsibility. And so they go to these people and they pray with them and pray for them and Christ will forgive them. He says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's, it's, it's so powerful uh, when you have a righteous man and if you have multiple righteous men of a congregation coming and praying with you and for you, imagine, imagine the sense of relief knowing that they're there to support you. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what problems you have, you confess them and you can begin this process of healing from these things and the elders are there to support you every step of the way. Absolutely. And that's their responsibility, just as Jesus uh, modeled for, for us. Ultimately, excuse me, <clears throat> this work and this extension of the work of the Great Shepherd is so important because ultimately the shepherds that are appointed to this by the Holy Ghost are responsible for the souls of the congregation they've been made overseers of. Um, they're accountable for how they lead. And I want to tell you that 
being a leader in the church isn't just about lining up song leaders. It's not about lining up prayers and asking, calling on people to pray and helping to make a schedule every month or printing out forms. Those things, those administrative tasks are absolutely important and needed, and we must continue doing those things. But that alone is not leadership. That does not qualify somebody to be an elder. And you can uh, talk to Sean Zebach. He's an evangelist from the Wheeler, Texas area. And you can go listen to his sermons that he's, that he's done there. Um, they, they make theirs available as a podcast as well. Go listen to those sermons on leadership and eldership, and you'll hear wild stories of what he encounters. He's been, his work as an evangelist has been focused on developing and training leaders. That's, that's what an evangelist is supposed to do. Go to a congregation, help identify leaders, elders, go through the qualification, you know, examine, examining them and appointing men who are qualified to lead those, those congregations. That's part of what they do. And he's seen so much and has so much experience with that. And uh, I hope that when we get ready to go through that process, that Sean will be involved in that. That, that, that would be my desire. But he's, he's such a good man, faithful man. He's not going to play favorites. He's interested in doing what's best for each given congregation. Um, and he's talked about that where they go. So generally how the process works is an evangelist or two uh, will come in and interview everyone in the congregation and get a list of, of men, get in, men that are mentioned by the congregation who are named uh, as, you know, they go through the qualifications together and say, who among the congregation do you think fits these qualifications? They'll gather a list of names, put that before the congregation, and let people know. And then they go through the process of examining those men very thoroughly. It's a 360-degree examination because the Bible calls for that. You need, to be, uh, you need to be blameless. You need to be a good person out in your community. You need to be a good person in all aspects of your life. And so they'll go through that process of examining and studying with those men. And by the end of that, they'll, they'll have a, and it usually takes months, uh, they'll have a recommendation of who should be appointed as elders. And, you know, the, uh, the congregation gets a chance to agree or to voice any objections. And if there's none, then then they are appointed, those evangelists will ordain them uh, into that role of an elder, and then they're responsible for the oversight of the congregation at that point. It's a very thorough process, very great process that they, that, that they use um, in order to identify these men. And Lord willing, our congregation will go through that process. I'm hopeful for that. That's our goal. That's what we want. And that's why it's so important for, for all of us as men to... Uh, be paying attention to these things and growing in these areas in our life now because the work of our congregation having elders today starts with you today. And I, and I hope that we will have men that are qualified for this responsibility. Uh, but, it's, but leadership is much more than that. The point of that, Sean uh, describes a situation where he goes into a place and the guy says, yeah, I'm, I'm a leader. I get up and do announcements all the time. That's not leadership. Not in this way of a shepherd. That's good and that's wonderful, but that's not leadership. It's much more than that. It means going to the family that is dealing with a crisis. At any hour of the day, it means helping your brother or your sister in overcoming a sin problem that's affecting their life. It means when false doctrines pop up, you care about refuting those things in a gentle and kind and meek way. It means getting your hands dirty and working among the sheep because 
elders are responsible for souls, and they're responsible for getting those sheep that belong to Jesus to the place that Jesus wants us to be, and that is heaven. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves. Why? Because they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's not profitable for you. The writer here of Hebrews uh, exhorts the people and says, Obey them and be a good, be a good flock to the people who are appointed as overseers because they are accountable. They have to give account for how they led as elders. And again, they're watching for souls. And elders should be constantly watching and guiding through all the dangerous terrain of this world so we can ar- arrive safely in the pasture of God. And they have to answer for that. Peter mentions that. In 1 Peter 5, the reason he says, he says, I'm an elder, I'm exhorting elders, feed the flock, take oversight, uh, not of constraint, but of a ready mind, not fit for filthy lucre, not as lords. Why? Because when the chief shepherd will appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. It's the only special title that we see among shepherds and, and uh, bishops and, and this position of elder It's the only special title we see applied, and that is to Jesus. He is the chief shepherd. He is is the leader of all the shepherds. And all the shepherds are accountable to Jesus Christ. And if the shepherds have done well, they will receive a crown of life and a crown of glory that does not fade away. And the point is for all of... The point for shepherds is you're leading your flock to all experience in that crown of glory because you care about them. And if you ever want to get choked up, go and talk to an elder about the care that they have for their congregations. They'll tell you stories, and you'll see the love that they have for their people. And they know that at that last day, all the shepherds of God's people were going to give account and be judged to determine, were they good men, living in pursuit of holiness with honest hearts? Were they godly husbands, treating their wives well and being one and picturing the body of of Christ and and His bride? Uh, Were they godly parents, guiding and directing and disciplining and bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And if they were appointed in this role, were they godly leaders filled with love for God's heritage that Christ purchased with His own blood? That's what they'll have to stand and give account for. And that's why this work of eldership is so important. And I pray now that as we close out this series, that you see how important the work of a shepherd is. And, and because it's an extension of the, the work of the great shepherd. And I hope that now going through these series, this series of studies, we understand why it's so deeply important for this congregation. I'll say it again. If we're going to survive, if we're going to survive all the threats that, that befall us, if we're going to experience all the blessings and the joy of being fruitful continually, if we're going to survive as a congregation and last for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 100 years, who knows how much time we have left in this world. If we're going to keep thriving in this community, we need you, men of this congregation, to take these things to heart and live in the way that God wants us to, to live. Be a disciple of Christ, have a good marriage, be a good father, so that you can be prepared for the time if you should be appointed to this role of the office of an elder. 
because the church that Jesus purchased with His own blood is far too precious for us to ignore this duty. And if we want to be a biblical congregation, this is what we need to do. We're on our way to that, Lord willing. And we certainly don't want to appoint the wrong kind of men to this role. Um, and so, I hope that, that you take this to heart. We talked about the great shepherd's work in leading souls to Christ. And sicknesses happen. But Christ, as our advocate, stands ready to, to help us. He stands ready to forgive us of our sins. If you are a Christian, you're a member of the body of Christ, and you feel like you've been straying from the flock, like you haven't been listening to the voice of the shepherd, you've been letting the threats of this world overcome you, you've been letting the pride of life uh, that emanates from our own heart overtake you and lead you astray, Jesus, the shepherd, wants to heal. He wants to help. He wants to guide you to life. And we're here as an extension of His, of his hands to help pray with you on your behalf. So if you feel like you need prayers of the church, we are absolutely here to pray with you. And maybe you're not even a member of the body of Christ. Maybe you're not a member of the fold. Jesus came into this world to die for you so that you could be, because He wants you to experience eternal life. And if you want that, it requires us hearing His voice and obeying Him. And what Jesus has commanded, the great shepherd has asked us to do, is to be baptized into Him. And there's water. We'll find water. There's water nearby. We'll go there and baptize you into Christ, and He will put you into His body and make you part of the sheepfold, and you'll be under His care and His protection and His love. If you want that life, we want that for you. Won't you join the flock of God? Uh, if there's anybody that needs prayers of any kind, please, and, and support in any way, please don't be ashamed to come forward as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.